0: You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network. Signal to Noise is supported by Audix. Check out their new line of Pro Studio headphones and A131 and A133 large diaphragm studio condenser mics at audixusa.com. Alan and Heath has asked us to read the following statement. Food for thought. The more holes you have in Swiss cheese, the less cheese you have. The more cheese you have, the more holes you have. Therefore, the more cheese you have, the less cheese you have. What a world we live in. Back Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on Pro Sound Web. I think we're going to do the intros because we seem to get shit when we don't do the intros. My name is Michael Lawrence. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Turnside, Who? Chris Leonard what's going on gentlemen chris
1: brian leonard chris brian leonard kyle brian churnside there you That's go true.
0: kyle is is fresh off uh the chick-fil-a drive-thru he even sent a chick-fil-a drive-thru selfie right. to our group text he's and fired up he's had his snack he's had his insure he's ready to go
1: fired up all the bones are working it's crazy <laughs> definitely definitely asked everybody if they could eat how many uh, Chick-fil-A sandwiches they could eat. Four to five is uh, the ratio. Let us know on My- Facebook. Michael- I would like to
2: get a standard distribution, actually. Yeah, you, put chi- you put Chick-fil-A sauce on there, Polynesian sauce? Yes. Do you- yeah. yeah. Okay, cool.
1: I like the Polynesian sauce on the nuggets for some reason, but the Chick-fil-A sauce goes great on the fries and the sandwich. Oh,
0: yeah. I don't think we have any of those in New York. What? At least not in upstate. Yeah, I've literally never seen one, I what? think, when I wasn't like on the road somewhere.
2: Yeah, maybe you should stop going to talk about for one day I, and- <laughs> i'm going to do they
0: have him in texas i'm going to te- actually i think our guest can can confirm or deny uh it's it's the south yes it's there okay because i'm going down to texas yeah. next month to meet up with denny miller for a project so we'll make sure to stop and get some chicken sandwiches Ooh. and we'll sort that out our guest this episode is my friend kyle jensen who's a theatrical sound designer and sound engineer and some people don't know this and i might be spilling the beans he's also a dj
1: oh snap Wait,
0: Yep. Yes, uh, I am. He's the interim so head of bro. audio and video at the Dallas Theater Center. Um, and he's worked on a bunch of cool stuff and uh, a little he's a kind of a, a fledgling technical writer as well, which is pretty interesting. Cool stuff. <laughs> very, we'll talk about very that. fledgling. So uh, before we get into all that, Kyle, they do have, uh, f- first of all, this is, I think we were talking about this. This is our first dual Kyle episode.
1: It's odd. I keep thinking you're yelling at me, dude. Yeah, fight, we, fight, like we, fight. Usually. Funny fight. enough, had... I
3: think every time I, Michael says Kyle, I think he's yelling at me.
1: <laughs> okay, then, then let's start here. Do so, I do a lot of yelling? <laughs> no. It, it's, it's, it feels like condensate. It hurts my heart.
0: Oh, buddy.
1: So um, when I was a kid, obviously I'm going to be like 49 this year. When I was a kid, there wasn't a lot of kids named Kyle. There really wasn't. Mm. So it once. You were
0: Kyle before Kyle was cool, is what you're saying.
1: I don't know about that but i know that there wasn't many in my school i think there was one kid and he was like two years younger than me but anytime i would go out with my parents and i'd hear someone yelling for kyle it would freak me out Mm -hmm. if we were at the mall if we were at any large event if i heard a mom yelling for kyle it would literally weird me out so i think i think that we get this like this might go for all the kyle's you'd have to You'd have to confirm or deny for me, Kyle, (laughs) uh, number one. I'll be number two tonight because I'm the shit. Um, (laughs) uh, It's kind of a privilege to be a Kyle. Like when you meet another Kyle, you're like, hey, what's up, bro? It's kind of like when um, Chris Leonard uh, uncovered that he had a Brian middle name. It was like, what's up? Like, we got got (laughs) shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We got the secret it's, thing. It's,
3: it's this exclusive club of Kyle or in this
2: case, Brian. And not only, not only the same middle name, but spelled the same way with a yeah. Y.
0: What are the odds?
1: We are all, See, I'm really
0: desensitized. Cause when the year I was born, I think Michael was the most popular baby name. Uh, since the so, Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of just, you know, you sort of just, you err on the side of ignoring people unless they yell some personalized insult your way. Um,
1: I was almost uh, a Kevin right. when we didn't play the arm's length game. What the fuck, Michael? I was just about, to, I was, I was just about to
0: do it, man. Damn. <laughs> you were talking about Kevin's. So, all right, Kyle side number two, the shit. What's the <laughs> coolest thing you have with an arm's reach?
1: I'm going to have to give you guys a link to this one. That's me with long hair. Oh, that's
0: nice. going in the. Can we oh, put that in the nice. link to that in, the, that's in definitely, the description,
1: Chris? That's definitely a Pantera Vulgar display of power t shirt. And look how long my hair is. All well, right, so compared. make sure
0: you visit the page for this episode on ProSound web. We'll stick this image in the description. Yeah. That's great.
1: That's me with metal hair.
0: So, are you singing? I in mean, that I'm, picture, I it's am thrashing. I'm thrashing you're thr- okay, like a may performing. Yeah,
1: okay. That's
0: I woke fantastic. I woke
1: my daughter up with uh South of Heaven this morning and it could have went a a totally different way, but she woke up <laughs> and she was like playing the blast beat parts with me and then- <laughs> She goes and she always goes in and and kisses mom before she leaves for school. And she goes, "Mom, Dad, and I had metal morning. It was awesome.
0: <laughs> I love
3: it. That's great.
0: Yes. Chris, Brian, Leonard. What's the coolest thing you have within
2: arm's reach? All right. So I have a pair. Of... What is that? <laughs> Holy cow! So these are three watt, three channel CB radios. Um, they're transceivers right? So they're handheld, bat- they battery powered. The antenna, when you pull them out, is like six oh feet. Oh my lord. It Whoa. it's like stupid long, right? <laughs> Those are awesome. It's like doubles right? as a fishing pole. we got to put so, a link
1: to a picture to that, too.
2: Oh, yeah, I will. I will. Don't worry. So, a, these, they still say it on the side, R.A. Simmons, MSI. So, they used to use these to back trucks into docks when on tour, when MSI was oh, in to, back on tour back in the day. So um,
1: They yeah, literally only impression. walk, they only work that far, too.
2: Yeah, they go by what, yeah. 80 feet. Uh, well, 80 because you can, you can hand one to the truck driver and you can be on the dock. You can, like, kind of call someone and, and back them in and stuff. And, I mean, they're 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 like military grade three watt uh, three channel you know CB you know uh, transceivers General Electric. So when you say battery powered, what what's under the hood there? Uh, Just double A's. Well, hold on, how many? Uh, Like thirty (laughs) two. Yeah, like eight 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 double A's. Love it.
0: Fantastic. All right, here's what I have. You could
2: you could hook in an external antenna too. So I guess I guess if you want to. Go what further. if the six-foot uh, antenna is uh, not uh, enough for you?
1: Another 30 feet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll
2: have to look up and see like what year these things are from. Take you back
0: off the truck's antenna. <laughs> there you
1: go. I mean,
0: just run a cable at that point. Uh, this is called a Rain Gain. You can't really get them anymore. They're hard to find, but it was a hardware device released by Rain, R-A-N-E, at, at one point. I'd love to. I don't know what off the top of my head what year they were making these. It's two parts. It's designed to help you suss out the gain structure of an analog component or mixer or something that doesn't have meters, right?
1: Mm, so cool. it's
0: a this one part is a 400 hertz tone generator at zero dBU. So you plug this in, it's phantom powered. And 400 hertz, the, this other part plugs into the output. It's just a piezo wired across pins two and three. So 400 hertz is well below this thing's range, so you can't hear it. But then you turn the gain structure of the device up until it starts to clip. And as soon as it starts to clip, those overtones come through the piezo. So you can tell without meters when you've hit the clipping point of the device, which is really cool. And it, 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 it I guess it's based on a principle taught by Pat Brown from Synodcon. Um, and I don't think I've ever used it, but I just thought it was really kind of a neat piece of audio history. So I bought one on eBay. It's,
1: it's so. got to be for DJs, too. That's a, like, uh, I mean, obviously, because it's built by Rain. Rain is known mm-hmm. for DJ mixers. I mean, that's pretty awesome way. And and I don't know if I've ever seen. Have you guys seen a DJ mixer without vu meters or some kind of level?
3: Well, I think line
0: mixers I mean, I mean, they'd have,
3: to, have to be really cheap. But... Rain
0: made a lot of like pro audio stuff back in the day. They, they you know they did graphic EQs and, and all kinds of things. Um, but I think yeah, I think they're probably. You know, I think what you're likely to encounter from them now is probably a a DJ mixer. And they are pretty high quality DJ mixers. Generally, I don't know. We have a DJ on the show. So uh,
1: that's kind of neat, Michael. I'm glad you broke that up.
0: Yeah, buddy. That's a
3: really cool piece of gear. Kyle Jensen. Yes. Number one. What's the coolest thing Uh, you got within Arm's Reach? Coolest thing I got within Arm's Reach. I can't really show it. You
0: didn't know about this game, right?
3: So I didn't, didn't did prepare. from previous
0: episodes that oh, I listened to. Oh, so you to.
1: prepared. Oh, you listened to the prepared. I did my or... research.
3: Um, right? <laughs> I can't really pick it up, but it's my it's my dumb quarantine purchase that I made about a year ago, which is my Avid S3 uh, control surface. I found it for like 50% off on Reverb. Guy said that the number eight fader was like broken. So I'm like, well, I can just buy a replacement fader. That's easy enough to do. Um Got it. Hooked it up. Powered it on. All the faders work totally fine. So I'm like, I think I just paid two and a half grand for a perfectly functioning Avid S3. Okay. So that's I'll the coolest thing I have in arms reach. But I think that pile number two has the best thing in arms yeah, reach, has, which was I've that dog. dog.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honey. She comes and visits. Come here, baby.
3: Is uh, are you
0: doing a lot of mixing, like home studio mixing, or are you taking that out to do live events with? What? How is that? What is that what role is that playing for you?
3: So the original purpose of it was to do smaller live gigs with it or like job it out for, you know, like a side stage or or what have you. Because it 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 can do 64 channels on the E3 engine, but like you know, but it obviously hasn't gotten a lot of use in that case because, well, obvious reasons. So I've been using this mainly to, you know, practice multi-track mixing just through Pro Tools. Um I did a sound design project for a devised work back in January that I used it on when I was actually doing more of like a film score or a film mixing. Um, so, you know, doing dialogue and seeing how I could do that live.
0: So you kind of got a two for one cause you got a console in a control surface really. Yeah. And- I,
3: well, I just have I have to buy the E3 engine and I need to find one that's only the E3 and yeah, I basically then can turn this into an S3L.
0: That's pretty cool. Um, We've talked about a little
2: bit on the show in the past and I don't think we need to, uh, <laughs> Chris is getting his radio. All well, well hold on. I, I, I was, I was, I was dead set on finding out what year this thing was from. So I've been searching this whole time. 1984. These things are from. Oh. So anyway, nice. so now, now I got to go
0: look up the rain gain and see which birth. of our, yeah,
2: which is older. Uh,
0: but, oh, that, um,
1: that picture I showed was from 1994.
0: Okay. So Chris's radios in, in the winter so far. Um, We've talked about a little bit on the show in the past, and you know it's kind of always interesting to get other perspectives on it. This idea of investing in your own gear, just because it's a tool that you use to to do your job at a certain level, or guarantee your own comfort, like Chris's radio, um, uh, but not necessarily because it's going to be a profit driver for you because you're you're a rental company, right? So I, you know, I I didn't buy my console so I could rent it and make that money back. I don't invoice it to people, but it allows me you know, a higher level of working, a higher level of consistency, quicker, you know, eliminates variables, all those, all those reasons to do it. So, I mean, is that kind of where you were thinking when you chose to buy that device? Yeah, that uh, was just like the generic that term device.
3: Be, that was a part of it for sure. Um, but I also knew like there were a bunch of other uses, like just having something that you can practice throwing faders on. Like, even if it's not even, if it's not even powered on, you can just practice Throwing faders, as us musical theater mixers like to do, line by line mixing. It's good to have something that you can practice on.
2: It's it's kind of like a, kind of like a the... drummer having a little like practice pad. Yeah, yep.
3: yeah. I mean, it's a real expensive practice pad, but yeah.
1: You know, and 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 a lot of our theater people that we've had on have definitely talked about that. You know, that yeah. they'll sit there with the script and just throw faders just to get your muscle memory where it needs to be, right?
3: Oh, absolutely. I I equate, for people who aren't musical theater mixers, I equated a lot to playing the piano. Mm-hmm. Instead of hitting keys, you're throwing faders, and it's it's exactly that kind of muscle memory where if you've been doing it for long enough and you're skilled enough, you don't really have to think and you can just do it.
0: I I was thinking earlier today, I remember talking to Keith Clark, our, our editor in chief at Proson Web, Uh, probably two or three years ago and saying like, when you go and you pick up whatever audio trade mag you're opening up, you almost never see like theater stuff in there. You see a lot of like church and install. You see some corporate stuff. You see a ton of like touring, you know, venue. But I I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen theater. And I was always like, hey, you know, we should pay more attention to this because it's so cool and it's so unique and there are so many really skilled professionals, you know, that are part of our field who work in this field. And then I was kind of thinking like, we've had a pretty good solid roster of theater people on the show. Yeah. And oh, absolutely, can, you know, definitely I've enjoyed learning about, uh, I mean, I'm in the kiddie pool with theater sound. It's a totally different, you know, we've talked about there's for whatever reason, there's this divide and there's not a lot of crossover
1: from, from the guy who has a candle opera.
0: Well, Behind him. I mean, well, OK, so that's it's funny because I, the the last three shows I've been offered were theater sound oriented shows, basically. Um, and so for me, it's very much out of my element. And I mean, Kyle, this is kind of one of the things that I, I wanted to chat with you about. Like, you know, it's funny Like the show I'm working on now, it's an outdoor opera. So there's all sorts of challenges that come along with that. The audience area is 180 feet deep. So all of a sudden as a system engineer, I'm like, Hey man, this is my backyard. Like I know how to do that. Cause you're talking about, you know, that's an arena distance now when you're talking about a, a throw that far. And that's something that you don't encounter in traditional theater audio at all. So, no. then, so that part of it, I'm like, I know how to do this. Um, but you know, when we talk about the, the mic placement and the, you know, all of those things that, that are very specific to you know, how you're going to program the console automation differently. Um, it's interesting because over the last, you know, We've had Kevin on the show, we've had Jason and Alicia on the show, we've had uh, Elissa on the show, we've had so many theater people on the show, I've been learning so much about that, and every time then I get to go do a theater gig and uh, try the new stuff that I learned, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I've really been enjoying that part of it, but I'm still very much looking through the keyhole. So I guess, you know, for someone who's who's your age, because you're what, late 20s, right? Um, 26, yeah so you're, you're already like in a, in, you know, a management level role basically at a, at a, at a theater, um, you know, you're head of something. (laughs) So, so like, you know, it, that's, that's pretty cool to be working at that level and, you know, still learning and also be, you know, in a position of responsibility and have to teach other people. And so like the, the teacher, you know, the student becoming the teacher, I, you kind of have to wear both hats. So, I mean, what's, I mean, can you just take us a little bit through your journey of like getting into this and, and where you are now and how are you balancing, you know, I have to be in charge of this and I have to know what I'm doing, but I also have, I have to learn more things and, you know, how's that going for you?
3: I I mean, yeah, I can totally kind of talk through. I'll give you the condensed cliff cliff notes version of like how I got to where I am right now, which is I basically started in musical theater for doing sound because that's what I wanted to do. Uh, back in high school so like i've been working mostly in theater sound for 12 13 years at this point and so i started in high school found out like that's what i wanted to do ended up going to college for uh audio production in washington dc where i it the, the the college american university the they had a gr- they have a great a-tech program audio technology program but it's really pigeonholed and it tracks you heavily into the studio realm. Mm. And I'm like, this is cool. And this is a really cool way of kind of approaching what I'd never done before at that point, which was studio recording. And I picked up a, real, a lot of really good techniques that I've since brought into my role as a sound designer, as a theatrical sound engineer. But I wanted to do that sort of thing. So I had an on campus job at our theater. So I was actually at this point now getting paid. To like mix shows and and run cable and I, I, it was a, it was a production assistant position so I did a little bit of everything so it wasn't just sound it was lighting it was set construction it was props Man, that's it was
0: so good though that's like such a valuable experience. It absolutely is. It actually reminds me of our
2: episode that came out today. Chris what, just mom fingered me again. You always do. You, you do that. Yeah. Like, wow, yeah. Fuck it. Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> um, wait. It, well, but this is the benefit of having video. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Um, I can see your so, gestures. Your rude gestures. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, um, so it reminds me of, uh, you know, no, t- you know, t- today's episode that came out with um, Chris. Uh, d- d- oh, demon. You're going to screw it up again? I'm going to go again. Debon- yeah. Thank you. Sorry, Chris. Um we have, I we wasn't have, even
0: on the episode, and I I, I probably I was
2: better at the pronunciation, at Lucky. Least. We all know me by now. <laughs> anyway. Um... No, he said. I think you know, like from a touring aspect, it just reminds me, of like from a touring aspect, you know, everyone should start at a regional sound company before going to the major, like you know, sound, you know touring sound company. So, it's because of the vast amount of skill sets that you get, um, you you get to work on, you get appreciation for different departments and stuff like that. So that when you do become the head person, you're not that asshole who who just got the title and the job position, but without ever having done it. There's a big difference to someone who who's maybe come up through the company as a a van driver and then they were a warehouse guy and then they were a tech or, or female. Um, and then they became, you know, the boss and the set and the other, they haven't, there's a respect and appreciation. You could be empathetic towards the other departments because you know what they have to actually go through. So, I mean, it's, it's, but you're just describing this in the theater world. So it's cool. Yeah, no, it's
3: a hundred percent that and get it, And every, I, I meant, I maintain that everyone who wants to do technical theater, anyone who wants to be in theater, period should try their hand at something that they aren't necessarily they don't think that they're interested in because you may very well be very interested in it like Sports. if you're if you're a cast member <laughs> go and try being a light like try programming the lighting board if you're a sound engineer try your hand at building a set like it you get a lot of good skills and you become more well-rounded tech yeah. by doing that
0: I mean, that's something that for me, it's I, I mean, I've, I've been able to take I've been able to say yes to calls to come in and help hang lights because I can read a plot and I know how to wire up a bat and those you know what I mean? So yeah. so not only does it like get you more work, which we all want, but it also, you know, when I have to work closely with with other departments and I really want to talk about this idea of design in, in in the context of theater and what that means, because it's an interesting thing to me. Um, I it helps everybody be more productive if i understand what the lighting designer is trying to do and and the words that they're using and and you know uh, if they understand what i'm trying to do and on a particular show it's like oh okay i understand why i have to make this compromise for audio because i i i really do appreciate what you're trying to do with the lighting here and i'm going to try to you know give as much oh, space as i can you know what i mean and and just kind of and and at the same time um You know, the show I'm working on now is a really big audio show. And so I called up the LD and we had a chat about, you know, like, hey, you know, the budget's really tight on this show. But if you cut a couple fixtures, it's kind of lame. But if you cut back audio on this show, people are going to leave. So, you know, this is I, I, you know, my whole thing is like, hey, you know, I'm not the guy who comes into the meeting and asks for a bunch more stuff. But this is the one show where I had to do that because that was required to make this show happen. And so having able to have those dialogues is really rooted in understanding what everyone's doing here and what they're yeah. trying to accomplish. Um, so when we talk about sound design, it always felt to to some degree, particularly at the at the lower levels a smaller scale, it always felt like a little bit of a misnomer to me because there aren't a ton of design decisions often to be made. So, you know, in my high school or in my college, I don't get to pick mics. This is what we have. I don't get to pick speaker positions. This is what we have. I don't get to pick, uh, you know, how many wireless channels because we have eight or whatever. So a lot of it is just working within this box. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to put the mics that we have on people and turn the faders up when they're talking. And, you know, hopefully that not like, so, so it's not until, um, at least for me, I had to work through a lot of those types of things before I got to a, not a higher professional level necessarily, but just a, just a gig that had more room for me to actually make some creative decisions about, I want to approach speaker positions like this because this is the sound that I'm going for, or I want to approach these particular mic elements like this, like when I actually had options. Right. And, and to me, that's a little bit different than lighting where, you know, you have pretty much what colors do you want and, you know, you can, it's really easy to move a lighting fixture generally. So, um, you know, I, that was something that I, I really kind of was stuck on for a long time is, you know, sound design but a lot of these things are very deeply rooted in technical reality right
3: yeah well i would also i would actually kind of counter what you just said where you know you're you're working with a fixed set of inventory you're still making creative decisions and that at the crux of it is the sound is what being a sound designer is you're making the creative decisions of what the finished product product is going to sound like but you just have to work with x y and z gear so like you know the decision to make whether you want to mic uh if you, if you want, if you want to place your omnidirectional microphone at their hairline, at the center forehead, if you want to place it on their ear, if you want to go full rock musical and have a boom that comes right out to their mouth, like you may not have the inventory for that to do, especially that the, the boom mic. But that decision is going to affect what the final product is, and that at the at the end of the day is sound design. You know, it, it's not just selecting sound cues or you know building a sound effect cue stack in QLab or sfx or whatever your playback program of choices it's so much more nuanced than that and yeah like everyone likes to see like oh yeah the big speaker positions like that's that sound design it is but it's really what comes out of that is what the design aspect is i'd say speaker positions are more like system engineering but
0: yeah, it, which is obviously my lens for here's where the audience is going to be and how do I best cover them, right? But, oh, absolutely. So let's talk about, and I I'm, I know I've dealt with this. I, I would bet you've dealt with this. When you have that situation where, yes, we only have this many inputs and no, you can't have more. Yes, we only have this type of mic element, so it must be worn here and no, there's no other options. So how do you approach kind of pursuing your creative vision for what you're doing when you have such a, like I'll call, you know, the technical
3: straight jacket, basically. It's a good question. Um, I would really just say, um, Hmm. I guess I would, I, I, I am, I'm one that would really, that really likes to adapt what the, what my creative vision is to fit what the gear is. So I know a lot of designers who are, you know, they're going to say it has to be this microphone. It has to be this gear. The speakers have to be pl- placed here. They have to be this brand. Where I, I and this is just because I'm not at that point yet. I am a little bit more flexible with that, so I'm I'm able to kind of change the ultimate the ultimate design goals to fit what we are able to do quickly and on a on, and stay within budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, what at the end of the day you know, the one thing I will not budge on is it needs to sound good, it needs to sound clear, and it needs to be evenly covered. And especially talking with the IO, you know, I might try to hang my speakers somewhere slightly different and maybe a little bit more in the way sightline-wise. But if if that means that I can then hit, like, the top row of balconies with a line array versus maybe I don't have the budget to put in delay fills, um, If you have a line array system, you probably have a budget, but maybe you don't. But if I'm able to bring those line arrays down, angle them ever so slightly, in that in the in the pursuit of even coverage, you know, I'm going to do that because it's the constraints that I have to work with, and it's what I have to do. Yeah, I get, I, if that makes any sense,
0: it, it does. And we when we had Jason Crystal and Alicia on the show, you know, she talked a lot about kind of you got to ask. Uh, chris what are, what is happening
1: you're just got your head down and you're just like not even paying attention K-
2: kyle was trying to give you the finger also which wasn't me this time but it's been so like, kind, kind of funny now. No, so i was getting your attention Let's, by throwing middle fingers up
0: <laughs> your, kyle's webcam is on the fritz so that's why his, oh, okay. his uh his nonverbal abuse isn't translating uh which i can't be held responsible for but um <laughs> she she talked about just asking and saying, what are the what are my options here? What can we do? And sometimes there, you don't have another option. But you know, one of the installs that that I just worked on, the the big priority for the the venue and the management was sightlines. We want these to raise as high as we can get them. We don't want to see them, but we know that the couple times a year when a the theater production comes through there, they're going to say these got to come in. These got to be lower because and so in the past where we had to tell them, no, they don't move. Sorry, they're dead hung. That was a design thing where, Hey, when someone comes in here and asks for these arrays to come in 12 feet, we can do that now. Um, so, you know, that idea of just getting together with whoever's making those calls and just saying, all right, you know, what are our options? Let's just explore what's possible here, which is also something that, you know, the direct, a a director that I recently worked with would say, Mm -hmm. because he didn't want to step on our toes, Technically, he doesn't know technically what might be involved in something he's trying to do creatively, but he'd just say, What are our options? Give me some options. How can we, let's talk about what we can do with this. Um, And that's,
3: that's honestly one of the best things that you can do as a sound designer or as a designer in general, or really even working in theater is just be someone that can be collaborative and you can work, be easy to work with. You know, Mm. like I've worked with many, uh, many a technician who they're set in their ways and they think that they're the next great you know, a one on Broadway or whatever. And they will just steamroll any decision that you try to like any counteractive, uh, counter decision that you offer to them. They're just gonna be like, no, it has to be done this way. And I'm like, that doesn't make you a good person to work with. Um, and that goes with directors as well. You know, directors need to be collaborative. And I've met many, a director that says, no, it has to be done this way. Mm -hmm. And they usually try to, you say it's all because of time or what have you, but ultimately the best directors are the ones that, like you said, listen to their designers and want to do a collaboration, not dictate what's happening.
1: All right. So what what I want to ask is like, um when when it comes to the creative pinnacle of theater, um mm-hmm. I, I had the pleasure of living in Las Vegas and um obviously are surrounded by crazy design. And I, I never really focused on that because you know in our situations we just had left and right it was for a rock show we were in and out um and i got i had the pleasure of meeting jonathan deans and brian shea and at the time and and this is just for me because i haven't worked in musical theater or sound design like that but those guys were like the pinnacle of what people wanted to reach ka the beatles love show things like that when you're 26 Um, I think the sound design thing is more of a focus now, and maybe you can speak on this as well because you have video game sound design, you have theater sound design, you have these crazy immersive things that are happening now. Like what is the pinnacle for you and you think as the community, because that's something that rock and roll engineers don't get like, um, We we don't get into the uh, emulsive sound, and we don't get into speaker placement to make people's heads move in 3D. Um, Where do you think it's going, and who do you look up to when when you talk about like the pinnacle?
3: That's a really good question. Um, I mean, ultimately, for my for me, the the goal would be to bring a show to Broadway and be a sound and be someone who's brought who's been a sound designer that has taken a new musical and. Started it in because generally the pipeline for new shows that come to Broadway is they try out in a regional theater. So that would be your, your, your Ford's theater, national theater in DC would be what, what would be considered regional theater. And so that's where these new shows are going to get con- commissioned. That's where they're going to be workshop. That's where they're going to ultimately see if they're a success. And if they're a success, they'll usually then go on to a, uh, to a theater on Broadway or in, in the West end. So being that designer that took that show and took that concept and made something of it that was good enough quality to have it go to one of those locations would be the ultimate goal. In in terms of people that I would really look up to and say is like the pinnacle of what they're doing, like look at any of the, this is a good and bad thing that you can count, really can count the number of sound designers on Broadway on one hand, maybe two. But there's not a lot of them um, you know people like Jonathan Deans uh, is someone I absolutely look up to because he does some really cool things with 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 sound
1: uh, Gareth
3: Owen is another one um, yes where you know he does these crazy rock shows like bad out of hell he, he's done come from away you know like all those all these really cool big sounding shows Nevin Steinberg obviously because like dude designed Hamilton yep. and then also like Jess Paz who is a I I'm actually happy to say that like I consider her a a friend of mine at this point because of uh, actually because of the pandemic, because I got to hang out with a lot of these sound designers on zoom calls. So like, you know, those are kind of the the, the pinnacle of the people who I would look up to.
1: Right. So
0: let's talk about mentors though. I mean, who do you not just look up to, but who do you call or email or reach out to when you have a theater sound design
3: puzzle? That's, so that's actually funny, funny enough. Um, I don't necessarily consider myself to have a mentor. Like a lot of what I've done has just been self-taught and kind of experimenting and trying new things, you know, seeing what works and what doesn't. And then finding out that, Oh yeah, they've been doing this. They've been doing this in theater for years. I'm like, well, I just discovered it for myself then. <laughs> um, but so I kind of do that. I, I do the self-taught kind of, te- kind of thing, but also, you know, I'll reach out to friends of mine who I've met who are sound designers who are kind of in the same, career stage as i am and the theatrical sound designers and composers association tsdca is fantastic for that because it's a lot of people who are all similarly minded who get together and they can share information share tips share tricks uh
1: everybody dressed you know in we black. hang out
3: once a week so like it's good <laughs> <it's, it's, laughs>
0: is it i yeah. picture it kind of like a spider web for me like i do have mentors people who are, have been doing this for a very long time and, and are super experienced. But I, I have a lot of peers and professional colleagues who just know about different things than I know about. And so if it's a question, I mean, I asked, I messaged you the other day because I was trying to do something with a, with a wireless system that I touch once a year. And I was like, oh, Kyle works with these all the time. So, Hey, and you're like, yeah, here's the answer. So just knowing, you know, which person out of my network will know the answer to this particular question, I think is is really helpful yeah,
1: too. Absolutely. Helpful. What what show have like I, I went and sat at Ka one time and that's what got me interested in sound design. I didn't even know who Jonathan Deans was, you know, and I sat at Ka and I was blown away by the audio. Like never mind the show, that thing was insane too, but <laughs> the audio blew me away. And then through him, I met Brian Shea, who was was at that time designing the Michael Jackson One show over at the Palms and um here's what's super interested me. The dude did that thing. And then he helped with the sound design of the Harry Potter ride. That's why I think sound design is this different aspect of audio. And and that's why I wanted to pick your brain about it is because video games, amusement parks, like uh, Jonathan Dean's did a lot of California adventure and um, the hidden rocks and how the parade works and, that stuff is a new math for a lot of people. And um, I think there's a lot of things. That Psychology. You, yeah, yeah. You, you can yeah. spread out from those avenues of building that set, running that lighting, putting speakers in odd spaces that you would never have thought of. Have you sat in a show and you were like, holy shit, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what I wanted. to. Oh, comment.
3: absolutely. I would I wouldn't actually say it was like a musical or anything. It was actually film that got me into that kind of like cool. holy crap mentality and the one that i can think of off the top of my head was the dark knight yeah when i saw that in the in the theaters like oh my god did that sound and i saw it in imax too which was even more cool and like that and it was that moment of clicking of like wait this is all just like my manipulation how they're using like sub heart like in- infrasonic and ultrasonic uh frequencies horror films love to do that you know it was that moment i'm like sound design yes and then it was i was already working in theater so at that point i'm like sound design theater yes
1: cool coolest yeah, uh, sound coolest, uh, coolest
0: design, design ample ever coolest example ever is from from the batmobile yes it, it, shepherd tones so you it never it's always accelerating it's always revving up higher but it never shifts gears you never hear it shift Shepherd tones just go up and up and up and up forever so it always just sounds like it's gearing up and that's like just such a cool little technical nerdy thing but it totally works because like you so said cool. chris like you have to really understand how does the human brain perceive sound yep. we're going to exploit that
2: you know yeah. and when you I, have i like the
1: go go oh i'm just saying when you have live actors on stage you can bring all that to your venue it doesn't have to be simple anymore and that's why oh, yeah. this is super intriguing to all of us, I think, is, like, it opens so many doors. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, that's all I wanted to interview.
2: No, it, it it was the, it's funny. I honestly, ironically, as long as I've been in sound, um, I hadn't ever paid attention to sound design until the first episode that I was on where we talked to Todd Maitland, who did the, the Joker and, and whatever else he did. Um, every movie ever <laughs> yeah, no shit. Uh, yeah that, that was not a, i was not diminishing him i just don't know the list in front of me um and like and as a preparing for that episode was the first time i was like which was like the last episode i prepared for but anyway um but preparing for that episode i was like i started to try to put my my head in his head of like you know when he starts talking about you know hanging microphones outside of subway cars at midnight to get the sound of the screeching or through the sub you know the um the cabs driving through like just anyway like and you know and what like one of the questions we were asking was like do you do you find yourself more on day-to-day basis uh just aware of your surroundings or hypersensitive because you've now had to um again, be more acutely aware and psychological of, of, of the things that actually make you affect and feel like where like, there's, there are things that sound designers add. Um, and yeah, rightfully, so the audience shouldn't know that, Oh, that just caused me to feel this way. You just knew what to do to make them feel that way that, that mm-hmm. psychology side, And, and, and to relate to the kind of the rock and roll world, like a modern engineer too, like there are things we do that it's not what they asked for, but we knew what to do to achieve what it is that they were you know, trying to get oh, to, like when we failed oh, yeah. turning it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes.
3: Uh, wouldn't it be the op? Would it, wouldn't it be the actual inverse of that, where it's like you're doing very little but achieving a big result as a re- as as a result of that? Yeah. Uh, there's there's one good example that of what you were just talking about, Chris, which is um, I was wa- I saw this video of the front of house mixer for I think it was a prodigy, and he was talking about how oh, he John? has like yeah. Yeah, he has like a sub-sub a fader so that when when the, when the Prodigies, when the, the track would drop, let's just use the, the, that turn of phrase for their tracks, when that when the track would drop, he would just pu- push that fader and get more sub, and it it's not something that you hear, it's something that you feel. And that's the other cool part about using sound design is that you don't necessarily, it's not what people hear, it's what people can feel both
2: emotionally and physically in some cases well i actually most people probably haven't heard this so i, I think michael was ryan and john i think mentioned this in one of the smart classes that we just at spl was like just that psychological trick of like leading up to the big chorus you're actually kind of riding your vcas down gradually mm-hmm. you know so the the right. sonic texture still there but levels coming down and right before that downbeat of that chorus you've now bumped it up 5d deep, deep db and you solely you as the engineer have created An exponential impact that that band almost couldn't have done by themselves, you know, by that simple psychological move.
0: Well, that's the fun, you know, that's the interesting part about this conversation to me when we talk about design, because we're so reinforcement minded. And it's like we all talk about garbage in, garbage out, and we can massage the sound of the snare drum a little bit, but ultimately the snare drum sounds like the snare drum, and we're trying to capture that and just reinforce it and and maybe polish it, right? But if you use the analogy of no, if the sound designer, if it's film or it's a video game, right? TV, like it, you get to pick the snare sample, right? So, so I'm not, I'm not transmitting something that exists. I'm creating it. So now I get to think about what do I want that snare drum to sound like? When I did West yeah. Side, I got to, I got to pick a gunshot sound. So it's not about reinforcing this. It's about what, what do I want this gunshot to sound like? And, and do I want it to sound close mic or far or what caliber gun? You know what I mean? Like, so all of these things that we're not used to thinking about in the rock and roll world, because we don't, necessarily spend as much time creating as we do reinforcing
3: mm-hmm.
0: and so it's just a different mindset i think and that's that's why i haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it right
3: ultimately at the at the end of the day you're just trying to tell a story through sound and it's exactly that it's the curation of all these different sounds to make this story cohesive and that's ultimately what you're what you're doing and the, and one of the reasons that like a lot of people in rock and roll generally don't do what we do in theater which is have a designer and an engineer is just because the workload in musical theater is that much greater that you need two two people working on that because, you know, you know, you not only have to figure out, okay, what does this snare drum need to sound like? What is the EQ curve of this trumpet section need to sound like? But on, it, piling on top of that, now I have to throw all these faders and <coughs> make sure that the right mics are up at the right time, because in theater we are of the firm belief that as few mics need to be on, on stage as possible. Um, it's really difficult, nigh on impossible, to do that as one person and to do it well.
0: Yeah, I. I it was interesting because I haven't, you know, I, I the, the show that I just did was mixed by a student, which I wasn't expecting. Um, but she was very interested and very able to do it, so she ended up mixing. And so I would just kind of, I, I was actually able to leave the console and go sit in the house and listen and stop thinking about the script and stop thinking about the mic placement and just listen. And then I would come back and make some adjustments here and there while she's mixing. And, and it, it really does. Um, I mean, it's, Kyle, it's, it's similar to what Howard page told you, right? Like yep, stop, back and stop listen. touching stuff. Yeah. Just, just listen for a second. And I think it's, it can be, it can be hard for those of us in the, in the, in the rock and roll world to, or the, just the live music world in general can be hard to
2: just distance yourself from all the, stuff well, right well, so the the ghost episode uh the b-sides that no one over here was steve guest um <laughs> he, he talked about when um buford jones <laughs> um the yeah, deep cuts yeah uh you know steve, so this guy you know this guy steve guest he was a system tech out with pink floyd on momentary lapse of reason buford jones mixing right and buford's trying to explain to him something he hears in the system right he's like and and steve just not getting it not getting it you know a primarily system engineer And Buford stands up, tells Steve, he's like, all right, sit in this chair. He's like, now mix, like mid show, freaking Pink Floyd, stadium, (laughs) surround, mix, go. He said, literally within like 30 seconds, he's like, I hear it. You know, and like, you know, it was that clicking of like, you know, you know, um, I, you know, that's, that's something we probably haven't talked as much about the other system techs of like, you know, uh, maybe removing themselves from being the system tech mind, putting themselves in yeah. the engineer mind and, and, yeah. and marrying that gap there. But it's, it's all along the same
1: vein. I mean, it's here, a different,
2: so. if it's a
0: different type of listening, it really is yeah. I, listening I, for. Not, yeah. I, I, I
1: wanted, I want to take the, the sound designer route with imaging as well, you know, mm. and, we know we can't do that in certain instances because you'll you'll lose one half of the crowd or you'll lose a part of the audience we are trying to project to in certain situations. But I think a combination of what you said, Michael, and what you said, Chris, the, the psychological effect of where voices and things are coming from is instead of getting people locked in, it keeps them like in the motion of the thing that's happening. Because obviously in a rock and roll show, watching four dudes jump around for 90 minutes, <laughs> like <laughs> your eyes do different things. Like it goes to a drum part. You watch the drummer, it goes to the guitar part. But if you're working with the image of And there's a big, that, a huge
0: video screen. It's like yeah. forcing your, manhandling your attention to a certain point in the show.
1: And that's yeah. something we haven't talked about either. Mixing to the iMag. I mean, I've I've done that several times where- um, uh, we had a guest come out on stage, play guitar or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden I got to be on that guitar because they're going to be watching the IMAG because John Mayer came out or whatever the case may be. And like, they could care less about the drummer at this point. So, you know, mixing to the iMeg, mixing to the video and, and just the whole psychological effect of like right. that thing being the focus as well as the audio focus, you know?
0: I'm so glad you said that because the the, the show I just worked on was, was live streamed yep. with a bunch of cameras. And even though I could see the entire performance area from the console, I said, we need a monitor here yep. to see the feed. And they didn't understand why at first. And I said, because we're we have to mix to what the audience is seeing. So if it's a tight shot versus a wide shot, you know, we need to f- kind of feel that differently as, as a mixer. And so that was something that I think a lot of us maybe haven't thought about having yeah. to pay attention to. There, you know?
1: There's a lot of finesse in that too. So like if they're showing a behind the drummer shot and he's smashing the snare drum, it's not like you can go in there and just like, cause then it would get awkward <laughs> when you go to the next shot, you know what I mean? So you kind of, yeah you got to have that, f- creativity that finesse to make those things fit at the right time at the right moment and that that's why the sound design and mixing for a theater show is just like super intriguing for me because it's all about the focus of where you're at and then you can play depending on what you know show you're doing you could actually play psychological effects like if people are going to be leaving the stage this direction, you could draw everybody else's attention to the other side of the stage just by doing a little pan, you know. That way, they're not watching things come in and off stage. Like people can get work done, you know.
2: And the nice thing about theater is, most often, you can do with the lights. You can just, you can totally just pull an audience, regardless. I mean, I'm not just dim- diminishing sound design here, but like, you know, <laughs> no, I but mean, you, I also, you can
1: do
0: stuff. And Kyle, Kyle number one, and I have talked about this a lot you can do stuff in an 800 seat venue with imaging that you can't do in an arena or a stadium sure, because true. it's too big. So you can play a lot of dirty tricks in a small house. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
3: But I was actually going to agree with Chris's point that, you know, you can do this cool disconnect with, with like the lights going one way, but the sound goes the other way. And really, especially with that kind of spatialization of audio, like there, the the, the new technologies that are coming out from these speaker companies that allow you to effectively just mix as if you're mixing Dolby Atmos live yep. like with soundscape and lisa and space map go like this is a really powerful step forward i think in technology and this is what i really want to start to see more of especially in theater and something i really want to like play with a little yeah. bit more because i think it's going to be the ne- it's going to be the next wave of how theater is mixed
1: so glad and you said that i think
3: that. honestly how rock and roll is going to be mixed at some points
2: So I'm curious, is there, uh, so you being a call, what it is young gun in the industry right now, in the industry, the field that you're in. um, I don't know the theater world. Is there kind of like, the same way there is in the rock and roll world there's like these like old curmudgeons who think that like the spatialization <laughs> this you know uh surround sound like all like it, it um
1: Where's my has, the theater, ha- has the <laughs> has the has the
2: well, i'm just saying like has the theater community all come together are there still people who are like this is bullshit like it just it just, it just, is this, you know, whatever the what traditional theater was and these are your tools you you stick in this sandbox type of thing. Is there, or has the theater community all kind of come together? Like, Hey, this is all for the grid of good and and all that. I think it's, it's a little bit of
3: both. And it highly depends on where you are. I'd say what theater you're working in, what your operating budget is as well as how informed you are. Cause like, these technologies are are already being deployed on the west end and broadway so like if people on if if people if people at that level are doing this and then they're getting rave reviews that's going to start to kind of work its way through and at the end of the day we're all kind of whores for attention so we want to get good reviews and if they're doing something that's really cool and revolutionary it's like well maybe I should be doing something that's cool and revolutionary And uh, it'll kind of like percolate through. Now, granted, you're still going to have the old guys that want to mix on their Heritage 3000s and,
1: you know, Mm -hmm. CADAC J-type
3: consoles. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: (laughs) You do too. You just don't know it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So I think CADAC would be a a better option for that. But, you know, you've got those people who are like that. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the people who want to embrace new technology are going to make it further in the industry than the people who are just so set in their ways right. that they're not going to move off of an analog board.
1: Not that's a, that's not there's nothing wrong
3: with an analog board. There's so many people in our tech,
1: industry too, right? though that oh, yeah. are, are stuck in that gig, you know, like you, I, I don't want to call them out, but like there's people but that I'm sit to... <laughs> at that desk for, for years and years and years, and they're not going anywhere until they retire, you know, yeah. and they just bring that old stuff with them the whole time. Um, it, they'll be gone eventually, you know. And we see the tech taking over in in our land as well. So it, it'll get there.
0: But I see theater really being the first toe in the water with a lot of these new things. Um, like I think about something like black tracks, right? Or we're gonna, or, or those those we're gonna track the actor around in space in real time, and we're either gonna track them with 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 their sound localization, or we're gonna track them with a moving headlight or whatever it is that's now like common on the the large touring scale, but theater was doing it way, way earlier. So I think a lot of this stuff is, is a sound designer trying to figure out like what new cool things we can do in the theater world. And then, and then once, you know, once the rock and roll realizes it, it it works and it's not going to crash every night. And like, you know, when it kind of matures and stabilizes, you do see that stuff bleed into the, the bigger scale, you know, when you have 20,000 cap venues, stuff like that, um, the osc pilot let's talk about that speaking of new oh yeah so hashtag dead mouse yeah yeah so we got this email um uh from alexandra greenberg over at falcon publicity and and she reps dead mouse and she said uh hey he's got this new software coming out and it's primarily for you know it's osc based and it's primarily for djs and i said you know she, you know, we don't really do a lot of that at Pro sound web, but I go, I, I know that OSC is like a pretty big thing in theater sound design. They use it for a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff speaks that language. So I go, Hey, you know, is there anyone that would be willing to talk to us about its potential theater applications? And she writes back and says, well, how about Joel? And I said, hell yeah, set it up. So I called Kyle. And, uh, so we got on a video chat with dead mouse and that's when I was like, Hey dude, you should be in my podcast. But, um, You got to play with the software before anybody else did, and you spent like a week going, like, "What cool theater shit can I do with this?"
3: Yeah, it was very much that it was okay. I have this piece of software in front of me that I was given. How do I make like what what? How does this make my life as a designer or as an engineer easier? And the first thing that that popped into my head was, "Oh, I could use it to control QLab, which is our well my preferred and kind of the industry standard sound effect playback." software for basically everywhere at this point um
2: even in and because
3: it speaks osc natively it's it was super easy to just integrate it i will also put it with the caveat that osc is still pretty emergent with uh in the theater world mostly because a lot of the consoles don't really talk it like digico consoles kind of do but uh you know we're still we're still very much in our midi and our time code worlds so like osc it's slowly getting there but i think it's 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 on its way up and it's going to become a lot more ubiquitous especially with a lot of things moving towards you know ethernet backbones effectively
0: and well i guess you know the other thing was that you, you've you been doing some you you did an article for Proson web about the osc pilot you also did an article for Proson web about speaking of network <laughs> stuff of uh, john huntington's book intro to show networking yeah uh hello john he listens to the show we'll say hi to john um You know, is that that process of kind of externalizing your thoughts on a piece of equipment or a book and having it published? I think we all love to talk about our opinions about consoles and this and that, but no one's ever like, gee, I should write this. You know, I mean, were you scared about public publishing your thoughts? I mean, a lot of people don't think about. Oh, absolutely. I was
3: I was (laughs) petrified about about publishing my opinions. Because, like, I've been called out for having unpopular opinions before, especially with regards to, you know, not just theater sound, but it's Welcome ultimately. Yeah, <laughs> no, I've, I, like I've been called out before for being just like incorrect and stating something that wasn't factual. So I was especially with that first one with the OSC pilot article, I was like going through and like checking everything that I was saying. I'm like, Hmm. okay, can I find like research and can I find articles to back up these claims? Which is
0: which is a good – like that's a good kind of habit, you know, to make sure the stuff that you're saying is true. But, you know, when we talk about technical writing, a lot of people say, well, I'm not an expert in anything or, you know, something like that. And it doesn't have to be that you're an – you don't have to be an expert in somebody to write an article. It's just – you know, oftentimes I'm, I'm actually sharing something that I'm very much not like, Hey, this is my first time trying to do something like this. Let me tell you what I, what I found out and you take the journey with me. So I, I, I want to, cause I want to say this to a lot of the early career people who are listening, like, you know, all it takes for you to get involved in something like a trade magazine is to just call them up and say, I'm really interested in being involved this, it's good for you. It looks great on your resume to be published. It starts good, important dialogues in our industry. I mean, a lot of people look to stuff like trade mags to get information on new things. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you can, you can agree or disagree, Kyle, I know with your, with your unpopular opinions, but I just want to dispel the myth that you have to be like an industry authority to write an article. And I, I think that's a, that's a harmful misconception because
2: it's not true. Yeah, I I, mean, I I could dispel it. I mean, so I mean, I back when we had the the last RF repack, um, you know, one of my techs, Aram had, you know, he'd come to the realization is he like, hey, everyone's talking about the fact that we're gonna auction this stuff off. And it's gonna have this closing date, but like, there's this whole like middle ground where it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be off and on in these certain markets and coming to these markets. Like, there was like a whole like grid of like when it's gonna happen, how it's gonna happen. It wasn't just like it's on here and it's off here. Right? There's yeah. this whole like middle ground. And so he was like, all right, he like he like made an Excel spreadsheet based on city across the country. He, like, did his whole thing, you know? And I sent it to RFN. I'm like, hey, you guys find this interesting? And they're like, yeah, let's put it out there you know and it's again he's not you know by any means like a you know uh industry expert on it he just you know looked at the looked at the data you know thought about how it's gonna affect him and figured it would affect other people sure enough it did you know so that's i mean that's a similar scenario and it's funny because i stumbled across
0: that when i was googling around a couple of years ago and i was like oh i know that guy uh but this idea like you know there's a John Mayer has a YouTube video and it's called like guy who knows nothing about baseball calls a baseball game is that and it's the literally the second him, him. time
1: John Mayer's came up in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, it is, dude. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's him. It's him doing a commentary on a baseball game, but he doesn't understand the rules of baseball, so it's really funny. But in a, in a similar vein, there's a lot of value in you know when I say well, I'm approaching a project I've never worked on something like this before. Here's what I learned. Here's what I did. Here's how I handled it. Here's what I would probably do differently next time. There's a ton of value in sharing that, so the next person that has to go do it has has some things to think about. So oh, you know, I-
3: absolutely. And I would also say that you know, to your point of not, you don't have to be an industry authority to publish in a trade mag. That is a hundred percent true. Like you know, a lot of what people say are are industry authorities on certain things. You know. A lot of it is just how they like to work. Mm. And people have said, oh yeah, this is also a good way. And I like how this works. So it's it's more consensus. And you need someone to maybe break that, like kind of break people out of that mold, because let's say you're gonna bring a new piece of technology in, and then you're at one point you're gonna be the only one that uses it. And then you publish it in something like a trade mag, you get it exposed to more people. And that's how these new industry standards can ultimately
2: come to be
1: yep or you just get tiktok famous and you know
2: that's kyle's approach
1: Yeah. yeah. TikTok well, it,
2: it's it's the same process of like we've always talked about like um you really know how much you know when you have to teach someone else so as soon as you have to put pen to paper you really can test how much you actually know about that topic when you can fulfill writing about that topic
1: yep yep and going back to the first of this conversation you know it's best to know about radius yeah. The, the, <laughs> how many AAA are double A's? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little bit about everything that you're working with, whether it's lighting, the carpentry, laying cable, patching. It, that That's one of the things I'd love to stop to, and, and see is like... Uh, you need to tell the carpenters and the set people that they need to get that piece out, you know, faster. And it's like, I want that guy to stop and be like, "Hey, director guy, why don't you come push this thing and see how fast you can push it, bro? <laughs> like, let's let's be." And, and I think that opens a lot of eyes. Is like, uh. It's, it's kind of like the Michael Lawrence reference of the kid who comes out to learn how to do a show, but he's standing by the console all night, you know, um, there's a lot more that goes into the show and then standing by the console and mixing it. And, uh, that works in theater as well. Like, uh, those set piece moving, uh, it's it's so valuable to have all those trades in your pocket so when you go to find the industry standard or what everybody's thinking about it you're kind of on the same page and that's why when we do these theater things i'm super intrigued like i really am it's it's fun
0: and i think from a macro level too i mean to kind of circle back i don't i don't like that if and and less so now but let's rewind five years or ten years when i was you know i was coming up in audio and I was reading the trade mags. Cause I, every week month I was like, I'm gonna learn some cool shit this month. And I'd be really excited to get all the trade mags. And it's all like $5 million arena systems and it's all old white dudes. And like, if you're young and you're, you're, you know, you're trying to learn and you, it's really easy to look at that and go, man, I don't relate to this either professionally or personally, or, or you know, socially, whatever background I'm from, whatever. And so to, open up a trade mag. And this is something that I've talked so much about with Keith and we've, we've really worked pretty hard on at pros on a web is I, c- I open up last month's issue and I see, I see Kyle's name. I see David Williams. Hannah's had stuff published. Um, Alyssa, another young lady from our, our theater discord group uh, that I'm a member of and that Kyle's a member of, I mean, just it, it's, I'm so happy now to like open it up and see different perspectives and people at different parts of their professional journey. And, if your mindset is I need to be at the top of my game before I can share my ideas on this, that's never going to happen. So I'm I'm very happy to see that trend. And so I think anyone who's listening who's like, Hey, I have a blog post about this, or I have some thoughts on this, share your thoughts.
2: You know, get in touch. Yeah, don't worry, Kyle. You're old and white, and I still I still um I still assimilate with you, or still look up to you. Funny, so, okay. So can...
0: Funny story about that <laughs> about me being <laughs> old and white. Well, Kyle, do you
1: remember this? No, that was that was he let
2: off of awkward. like, hey, he look, at only
0: trimming because he's no. A bunch because of old when white I guys. when I called Kyle and Keith and I had a phone call and we said, hey, you know, Kyle Trentide's <laughs> available. We should get him involved with what we're doing. And I called Kyle and I said, hey, you should come write for us.
1: And Kyle, you said <laughs> yeah, I write this.
0: like the cows on the uh, on the Chick fil A billboard. Actually, is what you said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My jokes are so- similar now as well. <laughs>
0: So so then you were like, well, let's do a podcast instead, and I was like, yeah, man. So that is actually how this whole thing got started. Was was you know was that? But I think it's. I, I you know, have it's just...
1: I have done a couple articles like here and there. Have you? And yeah, you'd have to dig deep to find them. But I did a um an article homework, for, everyone, for homework. Yeah, I might send it to you. It's actually pretty good. Um, I did a thing did for, for for Mix? a church sound um magazine. And, uh, I said the value of having a professional instead of using volunteers, when is it time to hire a professional instead of volunteers? And, um, cause that was one of my concerns at the time I was still with Midas and I was going to these churches that were buying, you know, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 worth of consoles. And, and it was just out of their grasp and they were still trying to use people from the audience to come and run it. And it was like. I need to stay here more than a day to get through that. <laughs> you know, this isn't audio 101. But then I figured out the value of me being able to speak to those people with audio 101. So when we talk about, oh, you become an authority on the subject, there is stuff that we are authority on. It's kind of like the medial things that we do day by day that we don't even think about, you yeah. know? And then we get into this crazy creative mode where we're talking about spatial integration and, you know atmos and stuff like that that would blow away half these people but um the fader thing that you talked about is a thing that theater people do and sometimes they don't even think they're doing it they sit in their hotel room and throw faders like that would be helpful in the situation of my article as well as like hey put your hands on the console and and learn where everything's at because it, you say h3000 I could take all the lights off an H3000 and mix a 56-channel a show without even looking at the desk, probably. You know, you know, just looking down briefly to get to what channel I'm going to. But that's the things that we don't think about because we've already moved up that level, and now we're, like, trying to be this crazy creative, you know, outspoken thing. But it, 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 we we kind of got to take it back sometimes, like you said, and and go to that, hey, coming up, what are the things that we don't think about yeah. that we need to talk about. And, uh, I did it with Willa on the phone today. She got one of her, uh, she got a gig touring and we were talking about master tour, which congratulations yeah. by the way. that's so
0: awesome. We're happy for Willa. Yeah. And,
1: uh, we were talking about master tour and the, the problems that go along with possibly working into a TM role from a front house position, you know, and there was stuff that all of a sudden I became an authority on because I didn't think about it in the, that kind of thing you know it's just like something i do as a normal day oh this thing will print your day sheets this thing will do this like how many times do you think about that we didn't even talk about that you know so yeah interesting
0: well that kind of ties into what we started talking about like when you're working with the rest of the creative team or working with the director like don't everything that i do even though it may look casual or like it kind of was a spur of the moment thing. I promised you there was a reason I did it that way and not a different way. Like, you know, and that's, that's something that is, I know very strong in theater. Everything's very carefully decided upon. Yeah. Um, so
3: and and working- it's literally every, every type of design decision that you need to make, you need to have a good reason. Well, right. you need to have a reason for it. It can be good. It can be bad, but you do need to have a reason for it. Just saying, well, I felt like it was going to be cool. That might cut it in some cases, but you'd be very hard pressed to sell a director on a sound effect that doesn't really fit in just because you thought it'd be cool.
0: Yeah. Well, I I love that. And it's similar to some advice I got early in my career, which is have a reason for everything you do, because it forces you to think about the, why I'm doing it, which is exactly what Kyle's talking about. Then you get so natural at it that you stop thinking about that. Um, But you develop good habits, but also when you're working with other people, building that respect where the director, I've had this conversation with directors. They didn't, they don't understand why I'm asking for something, but they know that if I'm asking for it, it must be for a good reason. Yeah. So they say, okay. And same with the director, like you know, having that that established idea that hey, this decision has been thought about, and there's a reason I'm coming to you to talk about it. Yeah.
1: Now you don't put um, muscle memory on your resume. It's just like a given.
3: <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Love that, it's
1: just a given. Dude, I mean, I put.
3: I guess line by line mixing is on my resume, so technically maybe I do have m- muscle memory on my yeah. resume.
0: Kyle's resume—he's updating it now, and it has, just has a picture of him shirtless in the gym. It does. My short shorts. Yes, get it. Be, be glad, everyone listening, that this is just an audio podcast.
2: Yeah, be jealous. Be jealous. Yeah. Um, all right, so we we were we we're getting obviously past whatever that's clock, true. That's true. Clock, but whatever. So. Um, before we get to a serious question so we were joking before we started recording that I've only ever seen three like legit broadway ish style shows two of which were the same show uh so I saw so as, as a kid my grandmother took me to see um Les Mis, uh which i I absolutely loved um and then since it was the only Broadway show that I actually knew um when I was dating my my now wife you know she's my girlfriend at the time I took her to Broadway so the only show I've actually seen on Broadway in New York was Le Miz um but I've seen one other Broadway. I don't know if you, do you call it Broadway when it's in London? At uh, like on like the main uh, I don't know if it's called Broadway or not, but anyway. It's the so, West End. Uh, well, West okay. End. Okay, there we go. See, I'm not a theater guy, sorry. Um right. But uh I want you to maybe take a guess as to which show I saw in London. Oh, I'd Shrek.
0: like to guess. No. no. Mamma Mia.
2: No. Um, uh what year was this? Book of Mormon. What year was it? Like oh seven. Um, cats. No, that was right. That was, it was theater. It was theater next to Cats. Let's put it this way: it had to do with the UK. The, oh the, was it, it wasn't Tommy Boy, was it? No, Spamalot. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> Monty
1: Python, right?
2: Right. So, but like the 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 best thing about it was seeing it was like free tickets? seeing Monty well, I, well, I was free yes but um <laughs> perks of being on tour stuff anyway um but uh no the cool part was that like seeing spam a lot monty python you know spam a lot like in london where like they like the jokes are all about them and so they the laughter is even greater and everything like it was just an extra sense of humor to all of the jokes and all of the things seeing spam a lot in london so that was it was cool that must have been really cool yeah
1: I saw Sh- the, the, I saw Shrek on Broadway and it was just like a bunch of fart jokes and I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I think if, if Broadway was just more fart jokes, I'd totally be into it.
0: Like, there you go. Uh, this is the episode title. Uh, the precision, though, the fact that you can go and see a show that's been running for ten years and it's like exactly the same show every night, and, and how the the scenery moves every night. I mean, mm-hmm. that, there's a lot of stuff to be learned f- from that. You know what I mean? Just the precision and the repeatability. But Kyle, number one, we're all coming down to visit you at the Dallas Theater Center. Yeah. You're gonna take us out for lunch. Where are we going?
3: We are gonna well, here's the thing. I haven't been to a lot of restaurants because I moved down here in November of 2020. So oh. not much opportunity to go out. But I would probably go with uh, with uh, Cedar House, which is a really good Texas barbecue place that I've found.
1: Love Kyle's barbecue. in love barbecue. I'm in too. Yeah, for real. Brisket, Texas brisket, brisket nothing, nothing yes. like it.
3: Oh, it's so good. All and literally all it is is you just get a pile of brisket, Perfect. you get pickles, you get raw what Spanish onions, white onions, and some barbecue sauce. Maybe some barbecue sauce. And a and piece that's of white bread.
1: It. Piece of white bread. You gotta have a piece <laughs> of white bread.
2: You gotta have
3: a piece of white bread.
2: All right, Kyle, you know you know this questions coming so since you if, if you've done yeah, your only homework, if he
0: listens to the end of the show a lot of people bail out <laughs>
2: this is true This is true it's a good test uh some people have passed it very few have uh the the fact that they've 30 push b- oh, prepared 30 anyway push-ups. um you're setting me up for failure right now and i feel so bad see the bar.
3: The bar's just <laughs> getting higher and higher you and sounded higher. like you were you, you superpa- know about the
2: arm's length game so you get partial credit yeah yeah right, hit him the, up chris him yeah, up. All right, so you are young within your industry and and life, so uh, you have ways to think about this. But I think it's a good thing to keep in your mind. Um, if you could define your legacy or how you would want to be known, how would you define that? Oh man, I what
3: knew the question want to was be coming. When you grow up! <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I ask myself that question every single day.
1: I do too, and I'm 48.
3: Uh, I mean. If I wanted to define my legacy, it would it would probably be not being a jerk to everyone, you know, mm. just being someone who's easy to work with. It don't be an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Like it's I know. Remarkable. How you, often you hear a lot of people say energy. like, "Oh, I want to do you know these big, big, amazing things." I'm like, I just want to be someone that people want to work with.
1: Mm. No, that's good. Perfect.
3: Which means that you also don't set yourself up for failure when you have a lofty goal and you don't meet it.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah, aim just, at, nothing. aim at nothing to, hit it every time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't have
0: goals, kids. <laughs> don't have goals. It's zero goals. Look at no, me. Have
3: goals. Just make sure that they're judicious in what they are.
0: Well, Kyle, thank you for uh chatting with us for your time. I uh always, you know, I, we like to we like to poke around in, in theater land because we don't get to do it very often. Yeah, it's so we've you, It's been a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, man. Thank you.